might just see how far the Scottish Hammer can drill this <laughs> thing. Right. Inside the 10 yard line. Inside the 10, baby. Yeah, um, well, we got to play in the preseason last year. No, it's not the same thing. You know, um, we got to meet him and, and know him during the draft process and whatnot and spent some time with him there. And, um, you know, he's a very competitive dude and uh, he's going to be bringing that fire on Sunday. So, um, you know, at the same time, as much as people want to talk about that type of matchup, you know, I'm not playing against Baker Mayfield. It's the Bills playing against the Browns and our offense against their defense and vice versa. So um, that's, what, that's what we're focused on this week. Talking Cleveland Browns football with the best fans in all of SB Nation. Now, here's your host, my dad, Delonious Seven. Sunday Morning Post. A very merry football morning to you and yours from Dogs by Nature. I'm your host, Thelonious7, getting you ready for a Cleveland Browns game day. Ahead on the Sunday Morning Post, we have three important stories. We first have continued coverage of the embattled Freddy Kitchens and the dumpster fire that's beginning to cause collateral damage. Then we'll talk about the return of running back Kareem Hunt to the Cleveland Browns lineup for this Sunday's match. We'll focus on five games of importance to the Cleveland Browns and finish up with a preview of today's contest between the Cleveland Browns and our little brothers from Buffalo. We'll also hear from Josh Allen, Coach McDermott, Shaq Lawson, Baker, Kitchens, Monken, and OBJ. We have a lot to get to, so let's get into it. One of the things that I wanted to do a bit more in this show is highlight some of the banter that goes on in some of the threads, particularly the Daily Dog Chow. I absolutely love the articles posted by Chris and some of the other writers on this site, Rufio. The reason that Dogs by Nature is such a great outlet for all things Cleveland Browns is because of the fact that the people who come here form perhaps the last authentic virtual community anywhere on the internet. The site features long threads of discussion, which are different than comments. These aren't just comments, they are back and forth between articulate faithful members of the community who have reputations and who are held accountable for the things that they say. This week I was on the threads, and some of the regulars there were having a robust discussion about the likely fate of Freddie Kitchens. Several of the posters had expressed a large amount of frustration with the work thus far from Freddie Kitchens. They began to parse his fate and begin to speak pretty negatively about his future in Cleveland. And that's what I noticed the post, kind of a conversation shifting post from a poster named Ease Weave. At this point, the discussion has moved from Kitchens and is beginning to cause Dorsey some collateral damage. And that's when Ease posited this. Meathead is tied to Kicho and Hee Haw is tied to Meathead. It does nothing for Meaty's credibility to say, hey, I messed up this coaching hire, but now I'm going to get the right guy. Just like Jimma looks like a raging, a raging jerk if he has to admit, yeah, we blew the five-year plan because Meathead was available and now it turns out he sucks. It's not going to happen, he said. As long as we hit five wins and we'll do better than that, nobody's going anywhere. And it doesn't matter 
what the fans think about it. So to sum that up, Poster Ease Weed believes that Meaty or John Dorsey isn't going anywhere. He believes that all the guys in the organization are tied together and that essentially there's nothing that any of the fans can do no matter how bad they feel about the performance of Freddie Kitchens. Poster Ease Weave went on to make this point. Meat had himself said in the offseason that we weren't really ready to go for it, or however it was that he said it. Thus, a six or seven win season, which is about where we'll end up, isn't grounds for dismissal, except in the mind of fans who unwittingly deluded themselves into thinking this is a playoff year. In this case, Poster Easy is likely correct, and fans will probably have to endure another year of growth with Freddie Kitchens, regardless of how the fan base is feeling. Now, I'm not necessarily for keeping a struggling coach just for continuity's sake. Although I believe that year two Freddie would be a lot more palatable to the fan base than year one. My feeling is like I said before, I think that folks are looking too much at that record. That's that's not necessarily wrong, especially when you see what's happened so far this year, like realistically. If coaching is like playing poker, then talent is like having a good starting hand. But even having the best starting hand isn't enough to determine whether or not you're going to win. It's not just the cards, but how they're played. Having aces and shoving your chips in all day is a losing play against a full table. You gotta play those cards to an advantage. The majority of the posters on Dogs by Nature were experiencing or were expressing the idea that experienced coaches basically find better plays for the talent that they have. And they're probably right. But there are a lot of factors that go into that decision. You know, sometimes Freddie Kitchens has made the correct play in this year, and he's gotten a bad result. Seattle is a really interesting example of this, but it's not just Seattle. Even in the 49ers game, they're probably losing in San Francisco anyways, but it's not the shellacking that it would have been if it wasn't for the pick by Callaway. The coach's realm is the realm of a gambler. The player's realm is chaotic. It's unpredictable. Because it's so unpredictable, that's why aggression is effective only in certain spots. Picking your spots is the deep skill of a coach. Having the patience to wait and wait and wait and wait until it's time. That knowledge of knowing when it's time. That knowledge of knowing when you've waited until the right moment and using that knowledge to kill your opponent. That's a gut instinct that comes only from experience. And I think that's what Freddie Kitchens is really lacking here. But I can't say that I'm also not worried a little bit about the players. (laughs) I'm thinking that they're going to remain confident in the team's direction, but I'm not actually sure about this fact, especially with stories like Higgins and Avery being involved in unbelievable narratives this last week. People said last week was the last chance, but there is one story this week that provides me with some measure of hope. Uh, well, I was able to get back in my groove a little bit these past couple weeks when they let me practice early, and uh, I'm a pretty confident person. I feel like I, I just got to take it play by play and play my, my game of football and not try to do too much. That's the thing. I know I'm not going to try to do too much. I'm just going to control what I can control and do, do what I can do. Now, I believe this is even better news than it sounds because I think it will finally give the team something that it hasn't had all year. 
the players for them to build a real identity. I'm not sure if this is enough, and we're going to find out soon as we get into the game this week. Well, that will take our first break. You're listening to the Sunday Morning Post on Dogs by Nature. It's time for the Focus on Five. Every week, we focus on five games important to the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> this week, there's some slim pickings that you can tell from the first game in our focus. That game is going to be the Miami Dolphins traveling up north to central Indiana to play in the fake dome. Let's hear what our old buddy Brian Hoyer had to say ahead of this contest. Um, I mean, I think in theory that's what you would say, but this is also we kind of you don't want to run these guys in the ground. Just like I said, the first through first ball I ever threw to Zach Pascal the other day was the 17-yard ball on the sideline, I think. So I mean, when it gets to a point you're playing football out there and you have to throw and react, and you know as long as you know what they're supposed to be doing, then you have a general idea of where to throw the ball. You went with so many offenses. How do you keep this one separate from all that other information you processed? Um, I think for me, it's it's like anything. You always have. There's always one offense that you're always going to revert back to when you're learning stuff and comparing it to those things, and then you kind of just grow off of that and say, oh, you know, this play and that offense, we call it this way, we call it here a different word, but I, I know how to run that play, uh, if that makes sense. It's it's kind of like learning languages, really, like <clears throat> Spanish and Italian are probably very similar, so if one offense is Spanish and one's Italian, there's you know some common ground, some, some you know, uh, things that are a little similar, and, and then you just go from there. Back up, Brian Hoyer, stepping into the Colts role, trying to keep their playoff aspirations alive. I I think he's going to do it this week. I'm going with Brian Hoyer. Actually, I'm pretty sure he's going to do it with the Dolphins being the opponent, but we're going to have to see if they're going to be able to keep the same fire, the same fight and intensity they've had over the past weeks without having their leader in tow. Game two this week of the Focus on Five is focusing on a leader who is now returning to the fold in Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs and Mahomes are traveling to Nashville for a one o'clock start to take on the Titans. Let's hear what Patrick Mahomes has to say ahead of this contest. I hadn't had something like this happen to me in my career so far. Uh, I mean, I kind of went back to my first year here, trying to help when I was trying to do whatever I could to help Alex out. And I tried to do that same thing for Matt, and I mean, I mean, Matt did a did a great job, and so I was trying to help out in any way possible. Patrick, when you first went down, can you just take us through a little bit of what you were feeling and, and what that first just minute or so was like? Yeah, I mean, I think you get that all that adrenaline rushing. So I didn't know exactly what it was. I just knew I couldn't uh, straighten my leg. And so I kind of looked over and saw and saw my my kneecap a little out of place. And so uh, I just I kind of just sat there. I didn't want to move. The doctor came out, put it put it back in, and I kind of took those first few steps. And I, it was kind of like gingerly walking. But then I realized it, I didn't really have much pain at all, if any. So I just kind of walked off the field and got the the exams, and everything looked good. Did you tell the doctor to snap it back in, or how did that? How did that? No, I didn't, I didn't tell him to. I think I, I let him kind of just handle it. I, I didn't know what what to exactly do, and he he put it back in, and. I, I, now, now knowing that that was that helped out a ton as far as my recovery. Now, when did you know, Patrick, that you were going to start this game? This yeah. Week or, or well, we. Week or? 
we knew kind of how we've kind of been doing the whole the whole process of the injury in general is just kind of like seeing how I felt every single day and so uh, I knew I had a, a chance once uh, I kind of talked to all those doctors and they said that as long as I was functioning well moving well that I'd have a, I could play this week and so coach Reed wanted me to kind of still take it day by day and so I went out here and and practiced and took the reps and I haven't had any pains or any setbacks and so as long as we keep going with that then I, I, I'm, I'm glad to be back out there you wear a brace or anything on Sunday on the knee? Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been wearing one, but uh, it, it's not a permanent thing. It's something that as long as I kind of use it as confidence for myself, I guess you would say. But uh, just consulting with the doctors, I mean, hopefully we can probably have to wear it this week. But as we the season goes on, just kind of get that off. I'm pretty confident about Mahomes in this contest, but I'm a little wary of him coming back so soon from what could have been a serious knee injury. Uh, we'll see what happens in this contest and moving forward as he provides some of the best hope available for resisting the pillagers from Plymouth. We'll keep a close eye on this one to see how he looks coming out of this contest. Uh, you know what that music means. It's time for our coverage of the Hugh Jackson Cup of Futility. This week, the Greater Chesapeake Ravens travel to Northern Kentucky to take on the Bengals. That game is going to be a 1 o'clock start. The Bengals are a 10-point underdog. Make no mistake, they have the inside track on the HJFCRCF, as it were. I definitely have the Ravens in this one, and I'm hoping, you know, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even going to say it. Let's just say that this game looks like it's going to be the Ravens, and let's move on with the Focus on 5. Up next on the Focus on 5, we have an intriguing contest between the LA Rams and the Southwestern Pennsylvania Steelers. That game is going to go off at 425, and it's going to be a catch of field. The Rams bring a 5-3 record into this contest, and they sit at third place in the NFC West. Meanwhile, the Pittsburgh Steelers, ooh, I just said Pittsburgh, they sit at four and four with a chance to move above 500 for the first time this year. Well, let's hear what Mike Tomlin has to say going into this contest. Um, it was just significant in general to, to compete against a team uh, that's a winning team that had been in some close games and come out on the right side of it. And for us uh, to, to be in a game like that and, and to secure victory, hopefully um, that's a catalyst for us as we move forward. Uh, I know that some tremendous battles await us in the starting this week uh, in the form of the LA Rams coming off of a bye week. I'm going with the Steelers in this contest and I'm hoping that it sets up an interesting showdown this Thursday night as your Cleveland Browns do battle with Mike Tomlin and the Southwestern Pennsylvania Steelers. Well, we'll take a quick break and get back to your preview. You're listening to the Sunday Morning Post on Dogs by Nature. In the fifth game on the Focus on Five, our little brothers from East Erie travel down to Ohio Edison Stadium to do battle with the Cleveland Browns. Even though the Buffalo Bills bring a 6-2 record into the contest, they are still a three-point underdog. Let's hear from quarterback Josh Allen, Coach McDermott, and Shaq Lawson as they look forward to this battle on the North Coast. Josh Allen starts us off by giving his thoughts about Miles Garrett. 
Yeah, um, you know, it's hard to pinpoint one guy, but, you know, I think he leads the league in sacks. Um, he's relentless, big body. He can do some freakish things, um, you know, so he, he's no joke out there. And, uh, you know, he's proved himself for the last couple of years. And, um, you know, he's a tough task for any team, you know, let alone ours. And we're going to try to put together a game plan and, and um, try to go out there and execute the best we can and uh, try not to let him become the distraction that he is just on the field because uh, when he gets things going, he's, uh, he's a problem to be dealt with. Um, just a little execution, um, small, minor details that we got to start paying attention to, and uh, it's something that you know we're, we're working on, and uh, we're going to continue to try to clean that up. And um, obviously, we won't know until we clean it up until we get to game time. But um, I don't think it's a problem. Um, you know, we'll, we'll go on from there. Uh, I mean, we just got guys that do our job. Um, you know, we, we put a huge emphasis on red zone. You know, each week. You know, we understand that's where offenses got to make their money and got to make their hay. And uh, when you're able to put the ball in the end zone when you get down there, it's a good thing, obviously. And um, we've been down there quite a bit now and been able to get it in. And, you know, we don't expect that success just to stay the way it's been um, unless we, we continue to work on it. So um, that's just it's been a good, good thing that we have going right now. And uh, Coach Dable's put together, a, you know, a really good game plan down there and our guys have been able to execute. That's right, our old buddy Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator for this contest. This team in Buffalo headed by Coach Sean McDermott. What's McDermott got to say ahead of this affair? Um, you know, I just, I'll just i speak on the roster. Um, you know, very capable, uh, highly talented roster. Um, I think that's been, you know, well, uh, very much talked about. So um, they're a good football team. And, and um, you know, we've got, a, we've got a lot of work to do on our end, obviously, to get ourselves ready to go. Uh, the, uh, the move to pick up Corey Lechip, is that, is that a run defense move specifically? To help uh, yeah, I mean, both really. Uh, he's, he's, he's had a lot of success in this league, veteran uh, guy with a lot of experience, and um, you know, we'll see how he does today, and we'll take it one day at a time. Do you think that uh, how much of a consideration in snap counts, load management, if you will, on the D line when adding a fifth, another guy? In terms of just overall, you mean, or with respect to court? Yeah, I mean, are you kind of partly looking at how much snap counts? You know, like keeping guys fresher, or you know, what is the need for another defensive tackle? Yeah, I mean, you know, we we talk a lot in here about um, being strong up front. So that's really you can never have enough um, capable defensive linemen. Really, they've got capable defensive linemen, and they've got, of course, Shaq Lawson who is terrorizing opposing offenses. Let's hear what Lawson has to say about the Browns' offensive attack. Oh, yeah, Nick Chubb is a great guy. You know, he's a great player. And it start, start with them by stopping the run. You know, they got weapons on the outside. Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, and uh, Baker Mayfield. They all big threat guys. So, you know, uh, we just got to be on uh, key and, and be ready for anything we do. It's time for your Cleveland Browns. Up first, we're going to hear from Kareem Hunt. Uh, whatever they give me, honestly. I'm going to try to take advantage of every opportunity I get when I get the football or without the football. I'm going to try to make that touchdown block or whatever, anything. Whatever the role is, I'm going to take it. Do you, you think you're the same player you were 300 and whatever days ago? No doubt. Did you give your family a ticket limit? Yes, I did, actually. <laughs> Like I said, 342 days. <laughs> I'm under a microscope, and uh, like I said, I'm not trying to put anything in jeopardy of them 300 and 
42 days. <laughs> I had a lot of time to think about, you know, if I get in this situation, how I'm gonna handle this. If I get in this situation, how I'm gonna handle that. If this happened, how I'm gonna handle that. You know, you get a lot of time to really reflect and think about the things, and then you get a lot of time to, you know, the situation you were in, what you could have done better or anything like that, so. It's hard to overstate how important having Kareem Hunt back in the lineup can be for this team. Let's hear what Freddie Kitchens has to say about this subject. I'm sure you've seen how eager he is. Is there any need to have a talk with him about just kind of staying within himself and not making this first game too much for him? Well, I think the excitement for him to get back out on the field is is uh, warranted. Uh, you know, he's he's gone through a lot since he's been out uh, since his last game. So, as a person, he's grown. As a player, uh, he's grown, uh, especially in our system. And you know, I expect good things from him. Always, when you play a game, you're always uh, uh, borderline trying to keep your emotions intact and make sure it's passion and, instead of emotion. So that's what we're going to try to do. Sure, you, you think he's ready to play? Is there part of you that, like, do you have a strong sense for that, or do you just, do you, is there part of you that has, just has to wait until game day? And I'm thinking of, obviously, it was a shorter suspension, but, you know, everybody thought Callaway was going to come in and do well, and it obviously didn't go so well right off the bat. So do you have to kind of approach this with a little bit of, you know, Did you, are you asking about Kareem? Okay. I'm seeing Callaway coming back, and I know it's a different position and a different player, but yeah. do you have to temper the enthusiasm or the expectations to some degree? It, I don't worry about tempering the expectations. I think, you know, Kareem's the type of guy that puts a lot of expectations on himself on how he performs and how he prepares. Uh, the one thing you have to realize, though, sometimes is, as in Callaway, he, uh, you know, he went through training camp, but he also suffered a high ankle sprain, uh, so he missed two or three weeks there of training camp toward the end of training camp. And then, you know, he left for the four weeks and came back, so he really didn't have the training camp. And the same with Kareem, uh, with the uh, the injury that he had uh, during the course of training camp. But uh, the good thing about Kareem, he's been with us for the last couple of weeks, and he's gotten built some endurance up and, and stuff like that. So. Now let's hear what Monken has to say about Kareem Hunt's utilization in this contest. Before we preview the player matchups. Uh, uh, you get Kareem Hunt back this week, what kind of impact can he make for you guys? Well, we'll see. You know, being out uh, basically nine weeks, although we did get him back the last couple weeks for practice, so he's looked good. We'll just have to see how it goes. Obviously having Nick back there, he's been having a, you know, a good year, so. Obviously, though, Kareem is an explosive guy that you're, you know, you'd like to get involved if you can. Does his, uh, his skill set allow you to play both of them at times, maybe simultaneously? Uh, we'll have to see. You know, again, uh, depending on flow of the game, depending on what we see as we continue through the week. But, uh, but sure, anything's possible. I mean, you know, we've had. Jarvis in the backfield at times, so it's you know it's just a matter of how we get our best players on the field. People talk about using both backs together at the same time. What challenges does that present from like a blocking standpoint? Because you don't have, I assume you don't have the lead guy necessarily if you're not using one of those guys as a fullback. Does that make it that much harder to run? There's certain things that make it a little more 
you know, and I wouldn't say complicated, but just in, in terms of what you do. I mean, we can't get too far away from what we've done already up till this point, which we haven't done a lot of that. So, again, there's some things you can do, and there's some things that, you know, you certainly can't scrap everything that you do offensively just for, for one player. Speaking of the players, let's get to the positional evaluations. You can turn to Dogs by Nature on the main page to see where we're working from. There, Chris Pocorny lists that matchup between Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen as being an even one. The two second-year quarterbacks do battle in this one, and it seems like, though Allen isn't such a prolific passer as Pocorny states. But even though the record doesn't indicate it, I think that quietly Baker Mayfield is putting together um, a slight level of improvement from the beginning of the season. Here, Mayfield talks about that focus as well as Kareem Hunt. Same preparation, uh, you know, clear, one-track mind, focus during the week, do our job and, and do it well. Uh, we're hoping for immediate impact. I mean, everybody here knows, you know, the type of player he is. That's why he's here. Uh, so, I mean, he obviously hadn't played in a long time, but. Uh, you know, he's he studied the game plans from what I understand of the past weeks, and, and then he's getting out there to practice. Uh, looked great today, so um, you know, looking forward to see what happens. Well, what happens in the positional advantages is that the Cleveland Browns get a huge advantage with Kareem Hunt coming back from his eight-game suspension. That doesn't mean that Nick Chubb now takes a backseat to the former Pro Bowler. I just believe that now all of a sudden you have enough horses to do what you need to do in offense and to have a real, authentic identity. So for that reason, you give the mark to Chubb and Hunt over an even well, even, now the Browns have had an advantage at wide receiver all year on paper. We'll see if it can finally translate to the field this week. Now, wide receiver Rashad Higgins hopefully can have a meaningful role in this game. Hasn't been himself almost all year and we'll see if this contest is the one we can finally get onto the red carpet. Both of these offensive lines are struggling and listed as even in this matchup. Wyatt Teller returns as the right guard for the Cleveland Browns. Hopefully he can show some solidification with some of his brothers on the unit. Now on the defensive side of the football, the Bills have an advantage because they have Jerry Hughes and Jordan Phillips manning their defensive line. But in addition to those advantages, the Browns are also going to be without Olivier Vernon this week, forcing Chad Thomas to take his position in the rotation. We'll see what type of effect that has on the final score. Now, in the secondary, it looks like the Bills have an advantage, and there's no question about that. There's lots of injuries in Cleveland's uh, secondary. Tredavious White and Levi Wallace lead up that group. Jordan Poyer, our old buddy Poyer, back there with Micah Hyde in the secondary as well. Cleveland welcomes back to Marius Randall to the starting lineup this week. Although I think Eric Murray is still going to be out, so we're going to see what's going to happen with the back end of the secondary, especially looking at the injury reports going into this game. The Browns have a slight advantage at special teams due to Scottish Hammer, as well as Austin Seibert, but don't overlook Andre Roberts, who is a dangerous returner in the special teams game for the Buffalo Bills. So with that being said, it's time for me to make my prediction for the game this week. I'm going to go with a total of 23-18 to 18 for the final. I'm picking the Cleveland Browns to win this one. I think this is a game that begins the true process of Freddie Kitchen's redemption. He finally has a full complement of running backs, and I think that's what he needs to turn the corner and to set this narrative straight for the team for the season. 
I'm excited as what for this contest, so with that, we'll put this episode in the books. Thanks for taking time to make the Sunday Morning Post and Dogs by Nature a part of your Sunday morning. You've been listening to the Sunday Morning Post. My name is Thelonious7 on Dogs by Nature Radio. Take care, go Browns, and dog check. This is the Sunday Morning Post.